Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beatles, Dan. Stoked on us here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And the NBA is back. I'm super stoked to have it coming so soon, so fast. It's going to be just a flurry of an offseason. We're going to be hitting topics left, right, and center. And I'm not too surprised that the players in the league got into an agreement quickly. I think they've had a very good relationship since that new TV deal a few years back. And with all the extra money, neither side really wants to kill the golden goose at this point. I also think because the owners are willing to do you know, a decent amount of things for the social justice movement that was going on while they were in the bubble and uh, through the playoffs this summer, that the players kind of were willing to bend a little bit on some things. But I think a pretty good deal in terms of uh, how things went. So here's kind of the main uh, important things. First, we got the NBA draft, November 18th. That's this Wednesday, just four days from now as I record this, maybe a few less from when you listen to it. And then after the NBA draft, two days later, the free agency starts. And so then you've got uh, the training camp starting on December 1st and the season starting on December 22nd. And so that's how fast this is going to be. You're basically going to have uh, 10 days of free agency and then training camp is going to go. Now, free agency will just keep going during training camp, but you're going to probably see a lot of moves happen pretty quickly. It'll be interesting to see how things go. The league is projected to lose quite a bit of money this year, anywhere from 30 to 40 percent, depending if fans can get into the stadiums. Uh, I thought it was interesting. The Golden State Warriors are experimenting with a method to do testing at games with like super fast results testing to have the stands half filled at games and then they'll be able to test you at the door and get results and we'll see if that goes. They said it would cost the league $30 million or maybe it's just the Warriors, $30 million to do that. But you know, if this is going to go on for a couple of years before we really kind of have knocked this thing out, you know, you're, they've said you're going to need to do things like that even if it costs you money just to get butts in seats and get that revenue train going because losing the gate is like 40% of the revenue. So that's a really big deal. Now, going into the deal, if you're someone like me who cares about some of these details, the salary cap and luxury tax are going to stay the same as last year. There's a guaranteed 3% bump and a maximum 10% bump in the salary cap per year uh, for the remainder of the CBA. So the salary cap will continue to go up probably at that 3% year for a couple of years. After that, who knows? Now, what they're going to do they didn't want to reduce the luxury tax to match what all the new salaries would be with this new uh, amount of BRI coming in because if they did that, like all these teams would be super deep in the tax and have no hope of getting out of it and you know, they'd all owe each other money and it would be a nightmare. So what they've kind of agreed is we'll keep you know, these numbers the same. So if you're in the luxury tax before, you're still in it. But now your luxury tax payment will drop as your percentage of revenue drops relative to BRI. Uh, and so if BRI drops by 30%, your tax bill will also drop by 30%. And what this basically means is we're kind of like prorating everything uh, back to the real amount of BRI when it comes to the luxury tax in, in what you have to pay out. So, you know, we would assume the cap was lower and all your contracts were lower and everything else. Now, on the player side, what's interesting about this is they only are going to have to put in 10% into escrow, which is the same they've done in the past. So they don't have to actually increase escrow. And I think that's interesting because there were talks earlier that the players might have to put in 30 40% in the escrow, but they only have to put in 10%. But the thing that changes is now, instead of escrow being the sole method to pay out for a given year, you can take from escrow for the next uh, two years after this season. So the next three total seasons can pay out a shortfall in this year. So the owners are going to be covered up to a 30% shortfall due to the money in escrow. 
except if they have a shortfall of, say, 30% for two years in a row because you've already drained the 2021 escrow pot to pay for 20, uh, sorry, the 21-22 escrow pot to pay for 2021's shortfall, you're then not going to have, you know, the extra time. You're going to have, you know, one year to pay for that, that next year. So the owners with this deal are kind of actually banking pretty heavily on the fact that this is only going to impact this one year. So we'll see how all of that shakes out. But they're basically now giving the players a, a fairly large interest-free loan into how this goes. Now, owners take on risks when they make these types of investments. So I think, you know, I don't think that's so totally unreasonable. Now, if you're going to be an owner and you're not going to take any risks, and we should start talking about how fair it is they're keeping all the money at that point. But so uh, owners will probably be in for quite a bit of losses, especially this year. Now, maybe they'll make that back in the long run. I think it's actually going to be pretty dicey, though, because when you look at how much franchises have grown over the last 10 years, 15 years, you know, they've kind of grown by like an order of magnitude. And I don't know that there's really huge growth left in these NBA franchises relative to where they were five years ago. Now, I mean, if you just look at basic economics of any company growing, you know, it's really difficult to see how the NBA's revenue is going to grow by an order of magnitude. Now, there's ways that could happen. Certainly, if you're doing a lot overseas, if you're doing a lot in other areas, then maybe there's something there. But I, I think it'll be interesting. I'm uh, flying the wall. I, I don't think it's like such a great deal if you're an owner who bought at this $2 billion rate or whatever. I think that uh, you, you might not be making so much money. And, and guys like you know, Tillman Fertetta, who owns the Rockets, uh, you know, like he's put in a ton of money to buy that team. And now he's facing all kinds of problems. And, you know, that's a nice segue into our next topic, which will be that Russell Westbrook has demanded a trade. And so now if you're for Teta and you filed Daryl Morey, Morey on his way out, and I said this, you know, a year ago when he made the trade, he basically knew he was going to be there for one more year. And then he made a trade to mortgage the future to try and go all in for a year. And a trade I thought was horrifically stupid at the time by trading Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook and giving a bunch of picks. And now Russell Westbrook has demanded out. He, he doesn't want to play for the Rockets anymore. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of market there is for Russell Westbrook because I, 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 it's like hard for me to see one. I mean, he's owed like $135 million, something like that, for three years. There's a ton of money. You know, in terms of contracts, it's, it's probably the most per year on the books of any guy in the NBA or tied. I mean, John Wall... Probably his deal is the same length and same amount. His deal is probably worse because John Wall, you don't project to be as good as Russell Westbrook this year. Uh, maybe Andrew Wiggins, who's owed about $30 million a year and is maybe you'd view as a considerably less player. Maybe his deal is worse, but that might be kind of about it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like maybe Russell Westbrook is a $30 million player generously right now. So you're overpaying him by about $45 million. Uh, you know, that's like a lot of money, $50 million. I mean, it's, it's a lot of money that uh, this guy is going to be overpaid. And so, you know, if you try and figure out how you're going to move on from this, you know, Houston is going to probably want to get assets back for Russell Westbrook, but that seems just ridiculous on the surface. And so maybe Russell Westbrook's just going to have to suck it up and stay with Houston because I don't really see what other choices they have. I don't see a great deal on the table for the Rockets that's out there. You know, it's kind of interesting, though, because Chris Paul, I would have kind of said the same thing about, but Chris Paul had sort of a comeback year last year. I don't want to buy it on him, but a lot of teams seem to be willing to just kind of dump one year's big salary and then, like, toss a draft pick that'll probably be kind of lousy and, and maybe make that trade. And I think if you are buying Chris Paul, that's maybe a little bit more reasonable than Westbrook because if you get up to matching salary, so say you trade $40 million worth of contracts and they're expiring contracts, and then you bring in Chris Paul onto your team, 
you know, you've, you've given up $45 million the next year, but you kind of, you know, you dumped $40 million this year too. So you're really only paying $45 extra million total. And it's not quite as crazy as if you bring on Westbrook in a similar deal where you're taking on $90 million extra total. And so, you know, the risk is a little bit less. Now, with all of the uh, craziness around revenues going on this year, though, who knows who is going to be willing to do those types of things. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. I do think it feels like the Thunder will be able to move Chris Paul based on what you read in the news. It seems like there's multiple teams interested. Uh, I really am suspicious about whether the Rockets could move Russell Westbrook. Now, we've talked about Chris Paul already on this show. If not, you know, my general view is I'd rather take that money that we would allocate towards Chris Paul, use that cap room to buy draft picks, even if they're like average draft picks, save the draft pick I would have to give up to get him, and then buy, say, two mid-round draft picks, say, you know, two to three in between, you know, 15 and 30, and, you know, go forward with those three to four extra picks, the pick I don't lose by acquiring him that I would have to give up in a trade, and the two to three extra picks I'd be able to buy. If I'm able to do that, I feel a lot better, you know, honestly, than having Chris Paul, because I just don't know what it does to advance your long-term vision to have him on your roster for a year. The one thing that's kind of interesting about the Bulls, and we'll get to Westbrook in a second, is that Billy Donovan just most recently coached Chris Paul last season, and he recently coached, coached Russell Westbrook, you know, two, three, four, five years ago, you know, a bunch of years. And so he's intimately familiar with both these guys. And so if the Bulls are interested in either one, there's really no one better you could have on your staff to form an opinion about whether, you know, Chicago should chase one of these guys than Billy Donovan. So we'll see how that shakes out. I don't expect the Bulls to make a move there. Certainly, I hope we don't give up much of value there. Uh, at this point, you know, the team's not good. I don't think you make a win-now trade when you are a non-playoff team and then kind of cap yourself up. I just think that's not exactly uh, what you would do. Now, it would be interesting if you were able to get Russell Westbrook just for, say, Otto Porter Jr. and uh, Tomas Sadaransky. So basically expiring deals, you know, Sadaransky's got a little bit next year. But if you're able to get him for just those guys, you're not sending any picks, I think that would be at least a teeny bit intriguing to me. Same with Chris Paul. I would do that as well, except Chris Paul, I feel you're going to have to give up a pick for. I just think it's going to cost you a pick to get Chris Paul based on the rumors out there. But if you're able to do that kind of trade where you're just taking on salary, and now what you're giving up is the opportunity to bid on free agents, which I don't think the Bulls will successfully do, or the ability to buy draft picks, which is always dicey whether you can pull it off or not, then I think, yeah, you know what, maybe, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe, maybe I'm excited about that again, and, and I would consider it. Uh, because I do think it would give you a lift for a couple of years. You know, it would get you back to the playoffs probably with either of these guys, and it would be intriguing. I do think that they both could fill in you know, a pretty useful spot on the Bulls who, who need guys who can create for themselves or guys who can create for others. Chris Paul definitely creates for others and can shoot threes. Russell Westbrook kind of just creates mostly for himself, a little bit for others, a little bit of ball hog. But I think the Bulls would be kind of okay with him running point and Levine now operating off the ball and Lowry spacing the floor a little bit, though. Lowry spacing the floor didn't really work out all that well last year. You know, he seemed to need the ball in his hands a lot more to be effective. So I don't think we'll get either guy. I don't think I'd want either guy, but I wouldn't hate it as long as we don't give up a future asset to get it. I wouldn't hate it. I just, yeah, kind of like, eh, about it. All right, so enough about those two guys. And let's talk about the Bulls coaching staff. The Bulls finally announced their uh, coaching staff that's going to be there for this year. And so they, and I, I talked about a couple of these guys before, but they, they brought in Morris Cheeks. So Morris Cheeks, former head coach, uh, Chicago native, and coach for Billy Donovan as an assistant 
uh, with the Thunder, so well-known by Donovan. He's a Donovan guy, and so he comes. I'm excited. I like Morris Cheeks, so I'm happy about that. I mentioned that on the last show as well. Uh, Josh Longshaft, who came from the Bucks and worked under Budenholzer and followed Budenholzer from Atlanta to the Bucks. So I feel good about that guy. You know, like clearly he's one of Budenholzer's key guys because he brought him with him. And so I think that's uh, an important thing. So I'm happy about that. Chris Fleming, who had a, a good reputation, was previously on the staff. Well, you know, obviously the Bulls didn't do so great, but I mean, still has a good reputation. So I think those are the three kind of like main you know, more experienced coaches. And then you got some guys who are a little bit uh, out there, younger guys, or, or maybe more earlier in their coaching career. I actually don't know their ages. But we've got John Bryant. And so now he was with Philly for the last four years, two years as an assistant. And so now he's an Eversley guy, so he's coming in. And then we've got Damian Cotter, who was with the Windy City Bulls, so someone that the organization uh, you know, brought up on their own. And then we got Billy Schmidt, who was a quality control uh, guy with the Thunder and previously worked with Billy Donovan with, at Florida. And so now we've got another Donovan guy, and then we've got Cotter, who's now just sort of, we'll say, an organization guy. And now we, they have four player development uh, assistants. So we've got Henry Domerkant, and you'll have to excuse me if that's wrong. I have no idea how to pronounce his name, just reading it. He was uh, another Windy City Bulls assistant, so another homegrown candidate. Ronnie Burrell from the G League. Uh, he was the uh, Nets assistant in the G League for their G League team, the Long Island Nets. Uh, Ty Abbott, who was a player development uh, guy with Philly, and Max Rothschild, who was a player development guy with Philly. So we have two more Eversley's guys. Uh, and so now when I, when I kind of look at these guys and you think of like, who's kind of coming in with an outside point of view from uh, where we are? And, and you notice we've got four guys who are Donovan guys, five guys who are Donovan guys. We've got we got, uh, if that's right, we have uh, Cheeks, Bryant, Schmidt. Uh, no, yeah, no, just those three. We got another few, three guys who are Eversley guys, Abbott, Rothschild, and uh, Bryant. And so, you know, like that's, that's kind of like a little bit incestuous. Then you throw in that Billy Donovan III, Billy Donovan's son, is the video coordinator who got hired as that. And the Bulls are definitely kind of got this nepotism vibe going. Now, I don't think that's so bad. Yeah, you know, it maybe it kind of sounds bad because you know we think about how that worked out with the last organization and how long you're bringing in these guys, and you know you were just kind of annoyed that it was like always oh, these guys within the same circles. Now, so these guys are all kind of within these circles that our people are familiar with, but then these are all new people, so we're still bringing in a whole bunch of new talent and attitude and whatever, and we're still pulling from three different circles between AK, Eversley, and Donovan. So we're still bringing in three new circles, and then we're still bringing in some guys we are home-growing ourselves you know, at the Windy City Bulls organization. So I think that's okay. It's still a good improvement. Uh, I really like uh, Cheeks. I think I don't know much about Longshaft, but I think he's probably good just because of you know what I mentioned earlier. So I think that's probably overall a pretty strong staff. But it's something to watch, something to watch out on, is are the Bulls going to continue this trend of just always bringing in people they know and not really looking outside their circle? Uh, again, the, for the first year, it's totally fine because all the circles are new. The one thing I'm going to say about that, and this is the one thing I was a little nervous about with Eversley, is we're bringing in a bunch of guys from Philly. And Philly, to me, is like the most dysfunctional organization in the NBA, basically. And so, like, I don't know how excited I am about bringing in now four different play- people from uh, the Philly organization. You know, like, I don't know. How much do you feel about Philly's player development? We're bringing in two player development guys and an assistant coach. I mean... I don't know. It's not to say these guys are bad guys. They might be amazing guys. They might be great guys. I don't know anything about them at all. But it's just that organization did not seem well run. And so, 
you know, to me, when you're, when you're tapping that, that, that area, like a whole bunch, you know, that feels, feels like a little dicey of a move in my opinion. But I am excited that we do have four player development specialists. Uh, I'm excited about the depth of the coaching staff. We definitely have a lot of people. And so what we've seen with this overall organization shift as uh, AK got brought in, uh, Arturis has built out a very large organization compared to what John Paxson had. So Arturis uh, must believe in a very large organization. And you know, having worked at different places, sometimes that works out well, sometimes it doesn't work out well. And we'll, we'll see how it goes. But they definitely have matured the organization in terms of how many different bodies they have now working in basketball operations. You know, they did add a lot of money there. Now, the one thing I will say about all of this is that when people talk about, oh, the Bulls are willing to spend, they're doing this and that, whatever. The total cost of all this extra spending, all these extra people is like maybe like $2 million. You know, maybe it's like, maybe it's like for all these extra assistants and whatever. Now, maybe you paid... Uh, Karnisavas a, a premium. Uh, maybe you paid uh, Billy Donovan a premium, but those guys maybe a little bit more. But it's not like you really added so much money to all of this. So I I'm happy that they did it. I'm happy they built out a big organization. But really, don't get too excited about the Bulls being spendy spendy yet. I don't know that uh, that that really backs up just yet. It will be interesting to see how it plays out though over the next few years. Uh, in terms of the draft, I, I encourage you, if you haven't listened to it, listen to the last Bulls Beat where I had Corey uh, Talaba on and Corey who does the Hardwood Herald website and the Film Sesh videos on YouTube. Outstanding podcast breaking down all of the prospects and what the Bulls should do there. So we'll see what happens. I think we both have the Bulls taking Denny at number four and that's who we think will be on the board and that's who we think the Bulls will pick if he is there. We'll wait to see what happens on draft day. That'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Bulls Beat, and I'll talk to you guys next week.